0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 27. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Billy Bob and his family lived in Louisiana, down by the bayou. And one morning, on his way to school, Billy Bob was walking along the bayou and he saw an outhouse sitting on the edge of the bayou. Well, feeling a little mischievous, Billy Bob went over to that outhouse and he gave it a hard shove. And he watched it tumble over the edge into the bayou below. Well, everything was fine until he got home from school and found his dad waiting for him. Billy Bob, his dad said, tell me the truth. Did you push the outhouse into the bayou? Well, Billy Bob responded, Well, Daddy, we studied about George Washington in school today, and like him, I cannot tell a lie. I did it, Daddy. Daddy responded, Billy Bob, bend over. I'm going to give you a whooping. But, Daddy, I told the truth. George Washington's daddy didn't whoop him when he admitted to chopping down the cherry tree. Well, Billy's dad said, That may be true, but George Washington wasn't in that tree. (laughs) Somebody told me last week that they were traveling and they had a bunch of my CDs. They sent me an email, can you believe it? And they said, we were traveling last week and they said, we were listening to your CDs and even your corny jokes are funny on the road. (laughs) If you're here right now, would you stand up? (laughs) You know, sometimes we think that boys will be boys. Sometimes we think that, you know, boys do bad stuff. Sin is going to happen. Things are going to happen. The Bible says that we are all sinners and we're all, we all missed the mark in some way. We've all sin and so sin is no big deal. Sometimes we think that. That sin is no big deal that we're all human and that we all are sinners, so it's no big deal. Well, well, that might be true that we are all sinners, but but it really is a big deal and here's why. Because just like Billy Bob's father was hurt by Billy Bob's sin, so our sin hurts the Father. Our sin hurts God the Father. And it hurts God the Father, our sin does, hurt, hurts God the Father, because God the Father sees the devastating effects of sin. See, God the Father knows that if we continue in sin, our sin is going to hurt people. Our sin is going to hurt ourselves. So it really does affect him. And so the Bible is clear, you need to understand this. Got a pen, got a pad? Now, you need to understand this, that sin isn't bad, Because it's forbidden. I'll say that again. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it's bad. You see, most people think that sin is bad because God forbids it. In actuality, a loving father forbids people to sin, not because God is a killjoy, but God knows that if you continue in that relationship, it's going to have devastating effects on your life. If you continue in that relationship, it's going to have negative effects, devastating negative effects in your life. If you have sex before marriage, you are going to get pregnant or you might get something worse like a disease or something like that. So God says, wait until you're married. Don't get, commit adultery and don't get involved in fornication because God knows the effects of what will happen in your life as a result of that sin. You see, all of your dreams and all of your hopes and all of your desires will be destroyed as an re- effect of that sin. And so God knows that, and because He loves us, He forbids us to sin. So the devastating effects of our sin affect our lives. But I'll tell you what. Even more devastating than the facts of the effects of sin is that when we sin, you know what happens? Listen close. When we sin, we hurt the heart of God. And we separate ourselves from intimacy and fellowship with God. That, in many respects, I don't know if you've ever, ever, ever been separate from God or felt like you had sinned and committed a sin. Now, don't raise your hand right here. (laughs) But have you ever done something and at the time, that moment, you felt like, you know what, I just hurt the heart of God. And you feel separate from God. And you feel distant from God and the intimacy and the fellowship is lost until, listen, that's the key word, until that sin is dealt with. In Matthew chapter 27, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see sin dealt with on the cross. i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to read an extensive portion of the text. Matter of fact, we'll just read to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to come back and take notes. So I'm going to ask you to pay attention as we read, and we'll see how Jesus Christ dealt with the effects of sin in our life. Matthew chapter 27. Got a pen? Got a pad? Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to pick up in verse 45. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Now from the sixth hour Until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who stood there, when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. See, they didn't understand him. Perhaps they misinterpreted what he said. Perhaps they really didn't hear what he said. But they thought he was calling for Elijah. And immediately in verse 48 one of them ran and took a sponge and they filled it with sour wine and they put it on a reed and they offered it to him to drink and the rest said let him alone let's, let's let us see if Elijah will come to save him and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit underline that and then behold the veil of the temple underline that was torn in two from top to bottom underline that and an earthquake and the rocks were split And the graves were opened, and this is a trip. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection. And they went into Jerusalem, and they appeared to many. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this is the Son of God. And many women who followed, thank God for the lady, followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar and among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Remember the sons of thunder? Her name is Salome, by the way. Now in verse 57, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea. His name was Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. Well, this man went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus and then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth. And he laid it in a new tomb. I love that. You don't give God just junk. He put him in a new tomb. Amen, saints? Which he had hewn out of the rocks. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb, and he departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite the tomb, And on the next day, in verse 62, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver, you see that kind of mockery, how he said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And then they'll say to the people, oh, yeah, he's risen from the dead. Sure. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them in verse 65, you have a guard. Go your way and make it as secure as you know how. I think he said that sarcastically. And so they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now stop right there. Give me your attention if you will. And you can't be around here for a week. You can't be around here for one service and not know, understand, hear, The death and the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event that has ever taken place in the history of the world. It it really is. There's been a lot of stuff that happened in the world. There's been wars, devastation, just really devastating things that have happened in the world. But, But there's been no greater event in all of history. The resurrection is the apex or the height of all of history. And so Jesus was placed on the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning or at the third hour. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours or until the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. Now, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he made seven statements. Now, listen to this. Three of those statements were made before 12 a.m. Four of those statements were made at 3 p.m., 3 p.m. Zero. Nothing. Nada. No statement was made between 12 and 3 p.m. or from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Three statements were made, as I said, before twelve PM. Those three statements, are you taking notes? Those three statements are number one, Jesus said, let me give you a scriptural reference and and you'll um And you can look them up and I'll give them to you. And notice statement number one. Jesus said while he was on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. You'll find that and you take the reference and look them up. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The second statement that Jesus made on the cross, remember we're talking about before 12 p.m. He said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, verse 43. And then the third statement that Jesus made on the cross before 12 was woman behold your son and son behold your mother. And then four statements as I said that were made at 3 p.m. and those statements are he said my god my god why hast thou forsaken me. Mark chapter 15 verse 34. And then he said i thirst two words. John 19:28. And then Jesus said, "It is finished." The third statement that He made at 3 p.m. It is finished, John 1930. And then the last statement that Jesus made, he said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." That's Luke 23 verse 46. So we have three statements that were made before 12, and then four statements that were made at 3. From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, there was darkness according to the scriptures. There was complete silence over the land. Now this could be over the land, over the land of uh, Jerusalem being a localized darkness. It could also be because many, many historians listen, have recorded darkness during this time period in other places of the world. So it could be darkness came over The entire world, not just Jerusalem, but over the entire world. But it is interesting for me to see, and perhaps for you also, from 9 to 12 o'clock, Jesus hung in light. And from 12 to 3, Jesus hung in complete darkness. You search the scriptures and you can see darkness woven through all of the scriptures. Don't you remember the darkness that covered the land in Egypt for three days before the first Passover? And now darkness covers the land for three hours during the last Passover. Remember, Jesus was born. He was born at night under the cover of darkness. And when the angels announced his birth to the shepherds, don't you remember? The darkness was broken by light and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. Interesting. A supernatural light shone at his birth and a supernatural darkness covered the land at his death. And then someone once wrote this, it was as though all of creation was sympathizing with the creator. Even darkness hid her face in shame at the unspeakable wickedness of men. How true is that? I believe it. But the darkness over the land is nothing compared to the darkness that was over his spirit. Notice when the darkness ended at 3 p.m., Jesus, in your text in verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice in Hebrew, Eli, Eli, lama sapatini, which means, which is interpreted in Hebrew, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, when you read it, you know, you almost have to read it like it's, like it's written. You have to read it like it's written. You know, to just say, you know, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that would feel anticlimactic. I mean, think about it. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he's in total pain. He's been suffering. He's been beaten. His body is like hamburger meat. He, he's ripped to shreds. And he's, 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 he's hanging there on the cross. And for him to just, you know, the, you know Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that's anticlimactic. And not only that, but it's not biblical. And the Bible says he said it. In a loud voice, he said, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." It was like that. It was a cry of agony. It was a cry of pain. Why? Because for the first time, listen to me closely, for the first time in Jesus' life and ministry, he had been and felt forsaken by the Father. For the first time in his ministry, the Father has turned his <laughs> eyes away from his Son. He was forsaken. Somebody said to me one time, well, Oh, the Bible, how do you know the father turned his eyes away from the son? And how, you know, where does the Bible say that? I said, well, it says it right there in Matthew. Well, where does it say the father turned away and he was apart from the father? Because Jesus himself said, my God, the interpretation of Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathini is what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus himself is saying, God, I feel forsaken by you. For the first time. It's never happened. Now, if you go back to Psalm 22, and, and you can do this in your own time, Psalm 22, you will see that that, that that is a prophecy in reference to this statement of Jesus feeling forsaken on the cross. It is also a prophecy of the crucifixion. Might I add, the is crucif- prophesied about the crucifixion 700 years before crucifixion was ever instituted. Talking about Jesus who would be crucified for the sins of the world. You can do your homework there in Psalm 22. But this is the first and the only time in history that Jesus was not one with the Father. Every sin, think about this, every sin that has ever or will ever be committed, Jesus is taking upon himself at this time completely forsaken by the Father. Now don't misunderstand, he didn't lose his divinity. But for a while, he did lose his his intimacy. Think about that. You know, some report was done. I couldn't... I, I remember reading it, but I couldn't find a piece of paper. But get this. Some report was done. And it said that the average person per day sins about 50 times a day. Now, I think for some of y'all, it's much more than that, but... <laughs> I mean, let's just go with this here, okay? Let's just go with the numbers. Okay, fine. Let's just go with any number. The average person, they say, sins 50 times per day. Now, think about this. There are 5.6 million people, billion, pardon me, people on the planet today. If it's 50 times a day and there's per, per person and there's 5.6 billion people on the planet, you think about how much sin that is, do the math, in one day. Now, the Bible says that Jesus bears the sin of the entire world on his shoulders, past, present, and future. So Jesus is bearing the sin. Jesus is, is carrying a heavy weight of sin on his shoulders at this time. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us. It says, for he, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, the Father, made Jesus to be sin for us that we might be righteous. You know, when I study the Bible, And and when I'm studying and preparing a sermon, I have two computers open. I have my my, my one computer for my, my word processing, and then I have another computer for all my Bible programs. I usually keep four or five translations open before me at all times. So I've got my translations here, and I've got my word processing here. And I love to just compare, just to, at a glance, just look at what this version says and what that version says. And I love what the Living Bible says about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says it like this. For God, notice this here, for God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins that in exchange he poured God's goodness into us. Don't you? I, I just love the way that reads. In other words, God the Father poured all the sins of the world in Jesus and if anyone would repent and believe in him, God will pour all of his goodness and righteousness into us. If you'll repent, all God's goodness he'll pour into you. If you say, God, I want you to come into my life. But Jesus, the Bible's clear, was forsaken by the Father. I want to read you something, and I'm going to ask you to give me your attention because this is actually a quite uh, lengthy uh, reading that I want to read for you. But it's from, listen, it's from a book called When God Weeps, and it's by uh, Joni Erikson Tada. You know, you know that author? You know that name? Yeah. And, uh, and this book is about, you might want to pick it up, it's a great book, but, but it's about why our sufferings matter to the Almighty. It's a book about suffering in the time and this time that Jesus is on the cross. So so please give me your attention and please allow me, if you will, uh, to read this lengthy uh, text. Listen closely. On your back with you, one raises a mallet to sink in the spike, but the soldier's heart must continue to pumping as he readies a prisoner's wrist. Someone must sustain the soldier's life minute by minute, for no man has this power on his own. Who supplies breath to his lungs, and who gives energy to his cells? Who holds molecules together? Only by the sun do all these things hold together, Colossians 117. The victim wills that the soldier live on, and he grants the warriors continued existence, and the man swings, and as the man swings, the son recalls how he and the father first designed the medial nerve of the human fore- forearm and the sensations it will be capable of. The design proved flawless. The nerves perform exquisitely. Up you go. They lift the cross, and God is on display. In his underwear, he can scarcely breathe, but these pains are a mere warm-up to his other and growing dread. He begins to feel a foreign sensation. Somewhere during this day, an unearthly foul odor begins to waft, not around his nose, but around his heart. He feels dirty. Human wickedness starts to crawl on his spotless being. The living excrement from our souls and the apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. His face, he must face his father like this. From heaven, the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed and shakes his mane and roars against the swiveling remnants of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so. Never felt the least of his hot. Breath, but the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The sun does not recognize these eyes. Son of man, why have you so behaved? If you you have cheated and lusted and stolen and gossiped, murdered, envied, lied, you have cursed, robbed, overspent and overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned, who has ever so ignored the poor and so played the crowd and so belittled my name? Have you held your razor tongue with a self-righteous pitiful drunk? You who molest young boys and peddle killer drugs, travel in cliques and mock your parents? Who gave you the boldness to rig elections and ferment revolutions and torment animals and worship demons? Does the list never end? Splitting families and raping virgins and acting smugly, playing the pimp? Buying politicians and practicing extortion. Filming pornography and accepting bribes. Burned down buildings, perfecting terrorist tactics. Founded false religions, traded in slaves. Relishing each morsel and bragging about it all. I hate, I loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Can you not feel my wrath? Of course the son is innocent. He is blameless. This itself, the father knows this. the divine pair have an agreement and an unthinkable the unthinkable must now take place jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin committed the father watches as his heart treasures the mirror image of himself sinks drowning into a raw liquid sin jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction father father why have you forsaken me